You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this installment of our RSA C365 podcast series. Thank you for tuning in. We have a great podcast lined up for today titled Mind the Gap, Strategies for Finding and Retaining Cyber Talent with Dr. Christine Isricor and Rosanna Kerrer. Here at RSAC, we have podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now it's my pleasure to ask Christine and Rosanna to introduce themselves before we dive into today's topic. Christine, why don't we start with you? Hi, sure, and thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Um, I'm Dr. Christine Iswalkur. I am the founder and CEO of Cyber Pop-Up, which is an on-demand platform for cybersecurity services. Um, I've spent about a decade in the cybersecurity industry uh, thus far, leading a variety of uh, different functions from training and awareness and, um, you know, focusing on the people side of things, which I love and, and which is a huge part of what we're talking about um, today from a talent development standpoint to managing, you know, vulnerability management and um, some things more on the tech side. Um, I earned a PhD in security engineering um, as well, so I've spent some time in the uh, academic arena as well. Um, and I'm just, you know, super passionate about building talent and diversity in the cybersecurity space especially, and so looking forward to this conversation. Hi, my name is Rosanna, Rosanna Kerr. I'm founder and managing director of Cyber Wayfinder. Um, we are based in Europe. We started out in Brussels, Belgium, and have now branched out to Luxembourg. Um, and we plan to grow and, and scale all over Europe. Um, we started four years ago, and what we actually do is that we train non-tech people to promote career transitions into cybersecurity. We started with um, promoting gender diversity, so we initially started with all female cohorts, but we've now grown and scaled, and so we've expanded, let's say, the definition of diversity to cognitive diversity, so we are now open to um, all kinds of uh, backgrounds, but we still stick to um, promoting non-tech backgrounds into the cybersecurity field. So I have a very, let's say, zigzag career path. I did not start in security. I started actually as an architect, um, then going into building engineering. Um, let's say it's called uh, environmental engineering within a building. And I got into um, using a lot of programming in my research, and then I got into education, and that's how I got into cybersecurity education. So we've been active for now four years, and yeah, I'm, uh, I've seen a lot of people transition from different fields and from different like age groups into cybersecurity, so I know it, it works, and most of the people in our cohort are now successful cybersecurity professionals. So yeah, that's what I do. Thanks for having me, by the way, Casey, and thanks so much for inviting me over. Of course, and thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Welcome, and we're thrilled to have you. So let's jump right in and start off with what are some rather provocative stats that, Christine, I believe you, that you found from your training, mentoring, and helping people with no technical background get hired into security teams. So what's lacking when it comes to recruiting and training? 
Uh, yeah, sure. And I'm I'm sure based on both of our backgrounds, we have a lot to share on this. So I'll kind of uh, kick things off and give my perspective. It's a great first question. Um, it's no secret, you know, it's predicted. I think one of the most common stats that's thrown around is uh, there will be almost 4 million more jobs than qualified cyber professionals to fill them in upcoming years, right? And so that's a big thing. Yeah, you see people, especially early in their careers or from unconventional paths, um, trying to get uh, degrees or trying to get certifications and trying to find ways into cybersecurity and looking for these roles. And I've had so many of them, you know, come to me and express their frustration, quite frankly, with the, um, you know, whether it's the lack of uh, opportunity um, to where it's almost like a catch-22 of cybersecurity, where it's like, we're basically saying, yes, we desperately need talent and there's all of these openings, but just not that person and just not you either, right? And so um, I want to set yeah. some context kind of to how I believe we got here. Um, I think initially many of the challenges, right, with recruiting came from a combination of this explosive, you know, demand due to increasing attacks, right, coupled with the lack of awareness, in my opinion, of like most people didn't know um, what it meant to work in cybersecurity or um, that opportunities, you know, even exist. And so we had this issue of more demand and really no pipeline of feeding that. Um, but now that's changing and evolving, right? We have all of this interest from enthusiasts. We have a lot of people willing to work hard to build the relevant skills um, that they need. We have plenty of good-hearted experts who are willing to teach and coach and mentor newcomers, uh, myself included. Um, but I think there are, you know, three big problems that we haven't solved as an industry yet that are holding us back. The first is there's a serious lack of entry-level opportunities. I alluded to this earlier, but I think especially um, for people within underrepresented groups and people who come from non-technical backgrounds. Um, and, you know, should be told, we all know that cybersecurity is serious business, right? Companies often don't want to take the risks. Uh, they want the experience. They want the best of the best. And so if there's an entry-level opportunity, you're seen as taking a quote-unquote, you know, chance on someone, right? And within tech, um, who is, especially in corporate America, you know, who are people most willing to take a chance on, right? It's the very demographic that currently dominates the industry today, which then in turn intensifies the, you know, lack of diversity in the space, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. So, I mean, I have so many stories that I could tell, but I'll share just a, a quick one because I know I've said quite a bit. Um, a few years ago, I took a chance on a young man who had no technical degree, um, no degree at all, no major credentials in cybersecurity, um, no experience in tech. All he had was a deep hunger to succeed and passion, and that was very clear. Um, and that was all he needed. We mentored and trained him, and he very quickly grew into the qualified resource that we needed um, and is mm -hmm. like just a rock star today. And all it took was being willing to make that investment in someone who truly appreciated and wanted to take advantage of the opportunity, which leads to my last two quick points. Uh, one is that training and upskilling isn't focused on enough, in my opinion. There are so many great um, sort of tangential roles and skill sets that translate well into cybersecurity that are currently untapped. And then the third one is, you know, companies and HR teams often uh, times they're misaligned, in my opinion, or uh, sometimes unwilling to go the extra mile to recruit in non-traditional ways. Um, and I'll, you know, maybe share a little bit more about that later, but posting a job, right, and hoping that people apply isn't enough, right? We have to do more. So um, we have exactly the same experience here in Europe, um, there's at least where in our cohorts, um, there's an amazing amount of energy and willingness to learn um, our, our, the people in our program 
to, you know, weeknights and mornings, and they're studying, trying to get certified, and they're usually not the youngest population. They have experience in marketing and finance and psychology. I mean, I think you name it, we have it. We have some of these people from legal. And within, let's say, six to eight months, they are certified. They have an entry-level certification. And the most frustrating thing is that nobody wants to give them a chance. But, you know, it, it takes time. So it takes a lot of, let's say, pitching, going from one hiring manager to the other, finding the right match. But after four years of doing it, all I can say is that um, both hiring managers, teams, and the people in our program are really, really happy where they are right now. So it's amazing how just taking that risk that um, Christine was saying, uh, people are not ready to take that risk. It's because it's something that that's not done. So nobody wants to to to, to be the pioneer, um, especially when they think their job is at risk. So I think we have to figure out how do we lessen the risk for for both the hiring manager and the HR people by getting maybe executive support for profiles within organizations, but also from outside of the organizations. How to get them into the teams and into the right teams, right? Because it's not always, um, you you really have to find a good match. So, um, yeah, but I've seen also some people where it took up to two years of waiting to find the right match, and it can be very frustrating, especially when you hear in the news that there's a cybersecurity skills gap. It feels like a slap in the face for some people who have been working hard, but, you know, because of their age or uh, gender for whatever reason, they're not given that opportunity. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's really more to the cybersecurity skills gap than just saying there's not enough skill. I think there's a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of skills and a lot of transferable skills that actually security teams need at the moment. So um, for recruiting and training, we really need to be innovative and and understand actually what our teams need and try to do that matching, the right matching so that, you know, you have more success stories and the more success stories you get, the more companies, um, you know, it, it's like almost like a domino effect that we've seen at least here in Brussels where first we had the financial sector. Now we have the energy and the telecom and we even have public sector organizations that are taking our women now and even critical infrastructure um, organizations that are hiring the people in our program, which four years ago would have been, I guess, unthinkable. So, uh, yeah, somebody has to make the first step and everybody else uh, watches and sees and, you know, success stories promote, you know, this this kind of non-tech profiles into cybersecurity teams, even in technical teams, by the way, and not just in the business teams. So I, I want to just follow up on that a little bit because, I, you know, I hear the risk from the business and the business is, you know, hesitant to take that risk of hiring someone and take a chance on someone. And, you know, this idea of matching the right candidate with the right position. But what do you see as the barriers of entry into our industry aside from, you know, this mismatching of information and willingness to bring on candidates who maybe don't exactly have all of the criteria that we're looking for in the HR posts? The biggest challenge that we are seeing here in the work that we do is there's still this really strong, let's say, societal perception that cybersecurity 
is a technical problem and that it's best handled by people with technical IT or computer science backgrounds. So it's really, really difficult to overcome this image that people have of cybersecurity. So, and it's not only the companies, the hiring managers and the HR uh, officers who have this perception, it's the non-tech people themselves. Um, and early on when we were only like promoting gender diversity, so trying to get women into the cohort, um, the first people we had to convince were the women themselves, you know, that it was possible. Um, but once they got into the content and into talking to professionals and and working on on actually the domains uh, of cybersecurity, they got so excited, they were so motivated, and I'm telling you, they were just unstoppable. So I would say the biggest challenge we have is this perception that it's a tech problem and and it can only be handled by technical professionals, let's say, or IT professionals. So, Christine, let's talk about team building for a minute. Um, what should folks be looking for, and how do these hiring managers better understand what brings value to a security team? Sure. So, I think, um, you know, we can all attest to the fact that building cybersecurity teams today can be very challenging, right? Um, but I can share some things that have worked for me in, in the past, I think, one of the first things I do as I'm building out teams is to do a skills assessment to understand, you know, what skills do our people have today. And I'm not just talking, you know, very rigid technical cybersecurity skills, but looking at the, the entire person, right, and all of the skills and values that they bring to the table. Um, and then looking at what skills are required to deliver on the vision and strategy that we have for the future, right? And then figuring out where are the gaps, you know, what we have, where we're going, you know, what's what's missing in the middle. And then I think once you have that piece of like what the gaps are, um, you can double click into that, right? And understand who are the people you have today in your team who are interested in and good candidates for training and upskilling um, versus, mm -hmm. you know, where are the gaps where we need to actually go out and recruit, right? And once you have that insight, you can build a very effective strategy around that. And that's a very tangible output, right, as you understand the skill sets and the experience that you truly need. Um, I think the second angle is more intangible, and that has to do with culture and the perspectives that different people bring to the table, right? So I think hiring managers especially have to understand that different perspectives empower teams to solve problems in the, the best ways. Um, and so leaders have to be willing to go that extra mile to achieve a team that incorporates those different perspectives, right, and be very intentional about recruiting diverse talent in teams. And I think, you know, those who, for example, repeatedly say, you know, I can't find, you know, qualified, you know, diverse professionals, you know, that's a, that's a cop-out to me, quite honestly. Like, yes, it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yes, it takes work, um, but it's possible. So doing little things like working with nonprofits to focus on um, diversity in, in cyber, a lot of the, um, the things that, you know, Rosanna has mentioned, you know, great, great organization to to partner with, working with academic institutions, partnering with diversity conferences and events and things like that. Like I would literally be at cybersecurity conferences researching mm -hmm. professionals and attendees and sliding into DMs of professionals that I wanted to recruit because that's how badly I wanted to make sure we had a diverse um, slate of candidates mm -hmm. to have a fair shot at our role. Um, and so, you know, on, on one end, as a cybersecurity leader, I almost became a cyber headhunter, so to speak. But I feel like mm -hmm. if you care enough, like, so that those are the lengths you go to to make sure that you are getting those different perspectives in your team because it's valuable. 
you know, one of the issues I think with building diverse teams is this idea of, well, you know, we advertise the job. If diverse candidates aren't applying for it, what more can we do? And Mm -hmm. there's not really this recognition on behalf of the company and the organization itself of the culture that exists to welcome diverse candidates, that yours would be an organization for which they actually want to work. Um, And how do you address that? What we do, I mean, it's probably something that's not, um, you know, because we try to get jobs for people in our program as well. So we do go through a lot of job descriptions, and they're usually job descriptions that describe the tasks of a full team. And uh, people applying don't know that. That's because usually, you know, these job descriptions are just given from the hiring manager to the HR officer, and, and they really have no idea. And like there's a, like Christine was saying, there's a really a disconnect between the two, that the security team and, and the hiring manager. So, uh, and the, and the HR team. So, so what I do is I read it and I see it and I know, okay, this is a team. And I go straight to the hiring manager and I say, okay, um, what is it exactly that you need? And I think this helps because I try to act like a go-between. Now, of course, this is, again, not a normal situation. It's just because I'm promoting the people in my program. Um, of course, there, there has to be some effort in writing better job descriptions. Um, there should be an effort in, in getting better communication between uh, the security team and the HR team and to make them understand better what are the needs of, of each team. But also, um, I think for entry-level people, I think they should be coached to know that actually all these job descriptions are written in a way that doesn't describe really a single person. <laughs> and it's impossible to get all the qualifications that and all the certifications that they list. You know, I mean, it's um, and to top that, sometimes it even says it's for entry level positions where you can see, OK, CISSP is somebody with at least five years of work experience that cannot be entry level, an entry level position. So it's just the way they're written. So what we've done is that we just go straight to the hiring manager and ask and then try to find a match and, and understand what it is that he actually needs. So I think there's just very little work being done in trying to understand what actually the tasks are and what are the skills uh, that the team needs, actually. So um, I'll just give an example. Like at the, an incident response team was looking for for somebody and in the end, they actually wanted somebody with data privacy and um, and uh, the GDPR, so data protection regulation um, knowledge, but also somebody who knew incident response. So, you know, it was not very easy for them to actually write that all in the job description. So when we spoke, and in the end, they took somebody with a legal background, but with an entry-level cybersecurity certification. So, you know, it's because it's so not done this way. It's kind of tedious because it's like, in our case, at least here in Europe, we need to go like person by person, hiring manager by hiring manager and try to create this kind of success stories. Um, but I would say the problem really is is the disconnect, like Christine already mentioned, and that nobody really puts the special, you know, an effort into really understanding and trying to find a match. And so jobs go six months to eight months to a year unfilled not because there's not enough talent, but because there's a very lack of understanding of what they actually need, and they don't know how to write a proper job description. 
So, Rosanna, how can the industry better address the issues that are behind the talent shortage? And what I mean by that is the perceptions based on a lack of or a very limited exposure to opportunity and experience. I guess there are two ways of doing it. I mean, one is like building an, an advocacy, and I see that a lot now. There are a lot of uh, diversity groups, women in cybersecurity groups, um, building awareness on the problem. So that's one side, the advocacy, and, and trying to show that there are like role models that we should look up to, role models where, you know, they do not come from the traditional path of computer science or, or IT but they're coming from really different paths and, and, and highlighting these, these career paths. Um, but another thing is actually, you know, doing the work of getting people who are not coming from IT or not coming from computer science into the, the, the field. So, like, um, within an organization, I always tell hiring managers and HR people is that I'm sure within your organization, they're what we call so-called um, closet engineers, you know, people who grew up, uh, fascinated by technology or by engineering, but never really went into um, studying computer science. But they're still fascinated by technology, and they're probably bored in what they're doing, and they want to move into a more challenging role. There are a lot of these kinds of people. And the nice thing with getting people, you know, within the organization is they already have organizational knowledge. So, you know, there's a lot less that they have to learn they might have to learn more about the cybersecurity, but they already know the business processes, the business needs. Um, and I think they don't realize that that's something that's an asset. They should want to retain these people and bring them into security teams because that's exactly what security teams need, people with understanding of the business. So um, that's what I would say, you know, look for those closet engineers within your organizations. Another thing is try to recruit people from the social science fields or even from the business fields. And, you know, it's difficult because, you know, it's perceived as a risk, you know, if you, you try to get somebody outside of uh, an engineering or computer science field. But, yeah, you'll have to start with getting management on board. And I think that most people are aware now. I think there's a lot of awareness out there. And I think what's lacking now is just the action to try to get more people or maybe scale some some programs where they're already trying to get more diverse profiles and, and trying to scale it, not just by getting people from outside the organization or within the organization, but also by promoting these hiring managers who are sort of like the pioneers. You know, they're the ones, they're the first risk takers. And I always like to say these are the best supporters of our program are, are actually the hiring managers because they're the ones getting giving the opportunity to these people, you know, so I would say, how can we also show them as role models for other hiring managers, you know? So I, I think that one way to scale these sort of um, efforts is, like I said, uh, give these people who are hiring non-traditional professionals, non-tech professionals, give them a voice, give them a platform to talk about their experience and to promote, you know, what they've done. So, um, and, and to bring awareness also to help other hiring managers to take the risk and to know that it's not that big of a risk, actually, if you get the right match, of course. I would add to that, like, I think the basics around 
internship programs and rotation programs or something that seems so basic but goes such a long way, right? If people can, um, you know, have the patience and truly dedicate to um, creating opportunities like that, I think that can help with the problem. I think it's also realizing it's shared responsibility, right? Like the organizations play a role in this, right? And the professionals play a role in it. So um, I realized very early in my career that experience was going to, you know, hold me back if I didn't get it as soon as possible. And so I did a ton of volunteering um, when it came to, you know, cybersecurity projects with nonprofits um, and trying to find any creative way that I could uh, gain experience uh, myself to make myself, you know, just a, a stronger candidate. And so I think also acknowledging that shared responsibility on, on both sides is another thing that um, I believe is important. That's a really great point. So, Christine, I want to go back to this idea of diversity in teams and team building and just ask you, how can team leaders nurture successful interactions between members of a diverse team? Yeah, so there's a quote that I love. I think it fits, you know, perfectly with this question. It's diversity is the art of thinking independently together, right? So building a diverse team is great, but it's only half the battle, right? That ensuring the team interacts and works well together is the other half. And so building a culture of inclusiveness and respect and celebration of differences is important, right? Like, I remember working on uh, one of the most diverse cybersecurity teams you will ever see in your life um, in the past, where we realized that with so many different cultures and backgrounds coming together, while a lot of magic happened and we solved problems in the best ways, there were also different communication styles, um, quite frankly, sometimes clashing of cultures, miscommunications, you know, one person does something and others think it's rude when it's really just a cultural norm for them. Um, and so I think the key first is awareness of this across the team so that people are a little more understanding that everybody's viewing the, the world, right, and working through this unique lens, right? Um, one powerful thing that we did in the past was require that every employee participate in a week of um, like cultural diversity training almost and doing so just made a huge difference in how our team meshed and worked together. And I thought it was very necessary just based on how quickly we um, expanded and how quickly we grew in so many different directions. Not saying that's a silver bullet answer for everyone, right? But I think leaders have to be deliberate in making sure that everyone is aware of those differences and their value and, you know, what that brings. I think, uh, you know, I mentioned before, celebrating the differences is also important. So, one of my favorite things that, um, you know, we do in the past is we'd host an annual uh, cultural food potluck around November instead of a traditional, like, Thanksgiving um, celebration or meal. And so we'd have flags displayed from all of the countries our team members came from, which were, like, 30-plus different countries. So imagine all of the colors that would you know, fill the, the room. We had employees would, you know, come to work in their traditional or native clothing if they chose to. Um, for the potluck, they'd bring their favorite, you know, family cultural dishes. We'd play games that taught each other about our different cultures. And you know, it was it was amazing, probably one of my favorite, you know, memories and experiences with that team. Um, and so I think there are a lot of things, big and small, that you can do to truly build a culture that embraces that. And I think a huge part of it is the awareness and also being sure to celebrate those differences and understand the value it brings. That's fantastic. I, I love that idea of the, the potluck with food because 
food is such an easy way to celebrate and to learn and um, to engage with people. So that's that's really, I can understand why that's a memory that, um, that sticks with you. Ladies, this has been such a great discussion, and I want to thank you again for joining us. Christine, Rosanna, do you have any parting words for our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah, I would leave you with this. I remember my first full-time job. Um, it required five years of experience. I had my degree and one year of internship experience, um, and so I didn't meet all of the qualifications, and that system would have very quickly filtered me out because I was not quote-unquote qualified. Um, but there was a director I remember and am eternally grateful for in the company who took a chance on me, and from that I launched an impactful 10-year career in cybersecurity, right, that exceeded everyone's expectations, mine included, um, and got me to where I am today, all because someone believed in my hunger and passion and dedication despite the rigid requirement that was on paper. And so I say that to say, like, I encourage everyone to do more of that, to rethink your qualification requirements, rethink the way that you recruit today, and get to know the person over the paper. Another thing that I'd like to add to that is that um, I've also noticed that people who go through career transitions, when they do get their foot in the door and get their first job, there is that phase when they're battling with imposter syndrome, and they just have to know that that's part of it. That's part of transitioning into or out of your comfort zone and into something that you even not even what you identify with at first. So uh, to just say that, you know, that's something very normal, you know, both for the people who are transitioning and but also for hiring managers who are um, you know, taking a chance and giving an opportunity, just try to understand that um, they'll be going through a certain phase where they, you know, they have this, they're, they're battling their imposter syndrome. The first team meeting where people are just, and I, I, I've heard this from a lot of the people who have gone through our program, the first meeting they have in the team where people are talking um, about certain projects and they're talking in a language that's foreign to them. They've gotten their first certification. They have read all the books. They've gotten through a lot of webinars. But then when they're sitting with their team, they get that sometimes like a, a panic and then they don't know how to contribute and they feel like they don't belong in the team. But, you know, that's something that they, after a while, get over and they start enjoying it. But just to know that it's not an easy path. It's exciting. It's super challenging. And if you stick to it, it's a, it's a wonderful field. But just know that there's a lot of work ahead. Um, and it's true not only for entry level people. It's, it's true for, for even senior people. So I think, um, my last word of encouragement would be to those who are considering a career transition. It's not going to be easy, but it's definitely something really fulfilling and exciting and, and, and extremely challenging. And, you know, you really yeah. touched on the, the human aspect of experiencing a job and all that um, can come along with that. So I really appreciate those parting words. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC. And be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. Also, subscribe to the RSAC podcast on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app. And stay tuned for our next podcast. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Be well.